Father, may you bless this message. May your Holy Spirit speak. And may Jesus become our dearest and best friend. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as I'm one to do, I printed out some lists, called my children in and gave them their chores. And uh, I saw them walk away with their chores. And that day we had some guests coming. So there were some additional tasks on their chore list. And my daughter, who, much like my wife, has an elevated sense of justice, came back in with a, a very disconcerted look on her face, and she says, Daddy, I have to speak to you. I said, sure, what's it about? She says, I know now why you had children. I said, and why is that? She said, so they could be your slaves and do your work. <laughs> I said, sweetie, if I wanted to get the work done, it would just be easier to do it myself. <laughs> A slave mentality. That is what we're going to be discussing today in No Longer Slaves But Sons. So, is this on? It is not. Hold on. So, um, the problem was, and we, we're going to be looking at Galatians, and we, you've covered Galatians 1 and 2 at some point, I think, with Aaron Buttery. But now I'm going to be looking at Galatians 3 and 4, which I don't think we can cover two chapters in one sermon, or at least you wouldn't want me to. But I'm going to do my best to give you an overview. And the problem in Galatia was indeed a slave mentality. To just kind of give you a perspective to what, what was going on here, I'm going to begin in chapter 1, verse 6. And here is Paul saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserted, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a what? different gospel. So to understand what was going on, there were some teachers who had come from Jerusalem that come into Galatia where Paul had originally preached the gospel, and they were beginning to tell them things that uh, Paul was very concerned about. They were saying things that Paul wasn't really an apostle, that the real apostles had other requirements that Paul hadn't told them. And so he, he gets to a point in chapter 3 verse 1 where he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In the Phillips translation, it literally says, Oh, my dear idiots in Galatia. <laughs> you know, who has cast a spell on you? <laughs> Why is it that you no longer obey the truth of the gospel that I originally preached to you? And then he says in, uh, in the rest of that verse, Before whose eyes... Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And, and, and the description here, if you were to read it in the Greek, is kind of like hanging a picture on the wall of your living room so that everybody who passes by can see it and marvel at it. And Paul is saying, look, I preached before you such a picture of Jesus that you were, you were so enthusiastic about the gospel, you said, Paul, if there's anything we can do to help you, I'd, I'd give my right eye for you. And he says, you were so excited, you grasped the good news. It was amazing. How is it, oh foolish Galatians, my dear idiots, that you could have turned to a different gospel? Well, what was this gospel? In verse 3, he, he kind of comes back to his theme. Can you see his holy exasperation with them? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the what? The flesh. See, these teachers who had come in were saying that you had to be circumcised if you were going to have the full gospel. Yes, you have Jesus, but it's not enough. In addition to Jesus, you now needed circumcision. 
See, what they were doing was they'd taken the gospel and they'd added the law to the gospel. And so they were saying, the gospel is not enough. What you need is you need circumcision, you need the law of Moses, and then you can be made right with God. In other words, you have the gospel, and then you need some, some works of the law in order to be justified. And because they started going down this path, Paul writes to them and says, this is not the gospel. This is a different gospel. Now let's just bring it home. See, many of us have begun with the gospel, but then we started adding other things in. Isn't that true? And pretty soon, we find ourselves doing things not because the Bible required it or because Jesus is calling us to. We're doing things just because we feel like we should do them in order to impress or not depress someone else. The gospel plus the law. And so this was the problem in Galatia. And in Galatians 2, verse 16, someone said this is the main theme of the entire book of Galatians. So after this, you can fall asleep because you've got the main theme. <laughs> Hopefully not. So Galatians 2, verse 16, Paul confronts this. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but how? By faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying it's not by the works of the law, but by faith. So today we want to do two things. <coughs> we want to cover what is, the, what is the purpose of the law, and then we want to cover what does faith do for us, we, the purpose of the law and the promise of faith. So we're going to take a look at these two things and, and see if we can understand them. So our first one, what is the, what of the law? purpose of the law. Now, fortunately, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us. Now, this is not the only purpose of the law we're going to discover. There are many purposes of the law in Scripture, and in Galatians, we're just going to look at one of the purposes. It's not the only one, but it's, it's the one that Paul wants to focus on. He asks in Galatians 3.19, what purpose then does the law serve? And he comes up with something interesting. He says it was added because of, what's that key word? transgressions. Now, um, it's true that one of the purposes of the law is that the law is to restrict us from doing transgressions. Like a, it's like a chain on a dog to stop it from biting people. So some people need laws. Uh, my children, predominantly. <laughs> they, they need laws to tell them, you know, this is what you are not supposed to do. However, children are very creative. Have you noticed that? When you come up with a law, they find a way around that law. And uh, when you say, do not, like, like we said uh, to our children, you know, don't jump on the beds. So uh, one time we walk in, Skylar is writhing in pain, and we're saying, Skylar, why are you writhing in pain? And, you know, we're coming there, we're hugging him, comforting him. And, uh, and then it's, he said, because because I, I fell off the bed. And we said, were you jumping on the bed? He said, no, I was trying to fly. <laughs> so children will find creative ways to get around the law. But the law has this, uh, what we might call restrictive mode, like stop people from doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, this prohibitive mode. That is not, as we're going to discover, what Paul is referring to here. While a law is intended to prevent people from doing bad things, dogs from biting people and so on, Paul is going to reverse this analogy, and we'll see that in a moment. 
And we really see his understanding of how the law brings in transgression by Romans 5 verse 20. The law came in so that transgression would do what? Now that's strange. How is it that the law is intended to make transgression increase? I thought that the purpose of the law was to bring down the amount of transgressions. Aha, we'll discover exactly how it does that. Romans 3 verse 20 tells us, <coughs> sorry, every time I get up here, something happens to my voice. So we're going to make our way through. For by the law is the what? The knowledge of sin. So what the law does is it tells us how we're messing up. And in chapter 7 verse 7, he says, I would not have known sin except through the? The law, yes. So what does the law do? The law is like a mirror. Oh, thank you. You know, this is uh, the second time I've needed this. But the Bible does say your bread and your water shall be sure. Thank you. So your bread and your water shall be sure, but let's get back to the law. So the law is like a mirror. So when you look into a mirror, you get to see the defects in yourself. I want you to remember that analogy. So what the law does is it tells us what we're doing wrong. And uh, the law, for instance, that Paul refers to is the law thou shalt not covet. And if you've ever gone uh, into a room and you've coveted someone else's talents, you've coveted their reputation, you've, you've coveted something about them, you've been a little jealous or envious, then you, you've done this. You've desired something which God had not given you. And Paul says, I recognized in myself that covetous nature. Now, how many of you have looked at God's holy and righteous law and recognized that you're a sinner? Anyone here? Absolutely. And so I look at the Bible, I look at what it teaches me, and then I begin to say, I am a sinner. Now, does that mean that my transgressions actually increased or just that my knowledge of my transgressions increased? My knowledge of my transgressions increased. As I looked at it, as the, as, the, as the law says, do not murder, and then I've held hatred in my heart toward my brothers. The law says, do not commit adultery. Oh, there we go. I'm getting all kinds of gifts. Thank you. <laughs> as the law said, you know, do not do this or do not do that. As the law said, do not commit adultery. But then I, I, I had lustful thoughts in my mind. These things teach me that I am a sinner and I have transgressed God's commandments. Can you all follow that? So this is the purpose of the law. Now, Galatians 3 continues, Galatians 3.23. But before faith came, we were kept what? Under the law, shut up, that's an important word, unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. So it says the law's intention was to was to kind of be kept under the law, we're going to see what that means, and then faith would come. And here Galatians 3.25 says, but after faith has come, we are no longer what? Under a tutor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The accusation against Paul by his critics is that he is doing away with the law. And is that true? Is this indeed what Paul is doing? Is he doing away with the law? This is the understanding of some, that until Jesus... We were under the law. But after Jesus, we're now under what? Grace. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. Some people feel that in the Old Testament, you were under the law. You had to kind of do your works. And if you were, you were under this old covenant, you did these works, and that's how you got saved. But after Jesus has come, you're no longer under the law, but under Grace. 
grace. Now think about that. Moses and Paul are up in heaven and they're having a conversation. And uh, Moses says to Paul, how did you get here? And he says, I got here by grace. And then Paul turns back to Moses and said, how did you get here? And he says, well, to be honest, I had to work my way here. Would that make any sense? Not at all. So we can't have two different ways of being saved. The Bible is very clear that right from the beginning, we were saved by grace through faith. Everyone agree with that? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace through faith. And Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there's, there's not two different covenants. The law has always been in operation. So what does it mean to be under the law? Uh, Abraham and his seed, promises were made. Galatians 3.22, just before that verse. And so Abraham, is he Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament, right? How was Abraham saved? He was saved by faith, right? Because he says he believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. So what we have is in the Old Testament, people were saved by grace through faith, just like they were in the New Testament. How does this help us to understand the, that the law operated until the cross and that we were under the law and then after the cross, we were by faith? What does this mean? Well, it cannot mean that the law is bad because in Romans 7, uh, Paul says that the law is holy and the commandment is what? Read them out to me. Holy and? And? Does Paul have a negative view of the law? No. For we know that the law is what? Spiritual. But where's the problem? I am carnal. Is the law bad or are we bad? We are bad. So we're going to explore what this means to be under the law. And I want to suggest that this law and faith dilemma that we have is not a matter of dura duration, like after the faith, no longer the law, but it's of condition. After faith we are no longer under the law. What does this mean? What does it mean to be under the law? Would you like to know what I think? No, you actually want to know what the Bible says. Thank you. <laughs> well, we went too far there. All right, so uh, let's go back. Oh, I somehow went very far forward. Okay. What does it mean to be under the law? Sorry about that at the back there, Brandon. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, what's that key word? Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, I want you to ask a question based on this. Who is cursed? Is it a person who does the law? Or is it a person who breaks the law? breaks the law. The person who does the law is actually, according to the Bible, blessed. But the person who breaks the law is cursed. So how do we understand what it means to be under the law? To be under the law means to be under the curse of the law or under the condemnation of the law. If that's clear, say amen. By the way, is the AC on here or it's just somewhat? All right. Okay, so how do we escape the curse? How do we escape the curse of the law? And praise God, the Bible tells us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a what for us? 
a curse for us. So how do we get out of the curse of the law, the condemnation of the law, which says you are guilty? It's because Jesus Christ has borne the sins of us in his own body. You can see now why Paul is saying, how did you forget that beautiful picture up on the wall and go across to believing that you now need to do something to your body to make yourselves right with God when Jesus Christ has already borne the curse for you. Can you see how Paul is saying, how could you forget this gospel when Jesus is the very one who has saved you from that curse? Now, remember what we read in chapter 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, and that key word, we were shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. And this word shut up literally means that you are completely enclosed. You are completely shut up. This is like when an ancient city was, all of its gates were closed and it was completely shut up. That's how this word is used. So it's, it's you are shut up. And I was thinking, what does this mean? It means that we are reversing the analogy. Remember, the Jewish people thought that if the law could prevent you from committing sin, and that may be one of its purposes. But Paul reverses it in this text. And he says the purpose of the law is to shut you in so that you cannot escape. It's like instead of a chain to hold you, it's become this enclosed city with sentries on the walls and you cannot get out. Now what does that mean? The law, therefore, was our tutor or guardian to bring us to Christ. Back in those days, the, the pedagogus, that was a, a Greek slave who was in charge of children, might be nice to have one of those today, but I don't, uh, they, would, they would be the disciplinarian. Don't do this, gotta do that. Uh, there's a story told of one who went into a rowdy party, pulled out his master's son, and uh, kind of gave him a beating and sent the others off to prison. This was the disciplinarian. Uh, and that's why the King James Version has the schoolmaster. So it has the disciplinarian who's going to manage this. And, and why is the law like this? God has a purpose. He shuts you in so that you cannot escape the condemnation of the law. So that you have to look to Christ. Are, are you following the line of thinking here? He shuts you in so that you cannot look anywhere else but to Christ. Why? Continues, that we might be what? Justified how? By faith. You see, the law has kept you trapped. It doesn't allow you to get an elusive freedom, like I can just go and do whatever I want and, and just manage whatever I want. No, the law traps you so that you realize I can never be right with God. How many of you have tried to be a legalist? Anyone here? I certainly did. And the law just tried to push me down. And, and then, then I, I tried, I can, I can do it on my own. I can, I can be faithful on my own. I can serve God on my own. I can, be, I can be the gospel plus my works. And when I tried to do that, the law came back to remind me, you will never do it. Only Jesus can ever save you from your sins. I was uh, driving along in Collegedale on a Sabbath afternoon, and I've discovered that we have a very friendly and active, and uh, it, it appears like they have more time on their hands than I wish they would have at times. 
And so I, I'm going along faster than the speed limit, and uh, actually quite a little bit. <laughs> they have some 30 mile an hour zones on Ultawa Ringgold Road, and I was doing 50. So I was pulled over. Now, fortunately, for years, you know, I, I've not had a speeding ticket in many, many years, and so I had a sermon illustration ready. <laughs> and I said, Officer, thank you so much for pulling me over. I am guilty. But I'm also a professor of religion and a pastor, and I preach on grace. And at that point, he stopped me, and he said, well, then you should know better. <laughs> The law was not going to let me off. The law was like, you have committed a sin. And he wrote me up a ticket for $176. And he gave it to me and he said, have a good day, sir. I don't know why they say that after they've just given you a ticket. And so I went away and I was like, there goes my illustration on grace. But now I have a great illustration on the law. The law would not let me off. Let me tell you this. Many of us are trying to get to heaven, whether we say it or not, by our own works. We're trying to put ourselves in that place. We're trying to do it by, by, by I'm just going to be good enough, and then God will accept me. And eventually the law says, you will never do it. You are guilty. Guilty. Fortunately, there's a good end to that story because uh, I went to court and uh, they, they first dealt with some young people, and they called them up, he gave them a stern talking to, uh, because they were under the age of 18, they came up with their parents, and one young man who was just 18 uh, said, I don't mean my parents here, but I wanna know is the police officer here who caught me, because if he's not, then I should be let go. And the judge looked at him, and under his breath, but loud enough that we could all hear, he said, who does he think he is? And he said, young man, you can sit right back down there. We'll call that policeman, but you'll be the last one I deal with. And that didn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> then we were next, and I was like, this judge is not a lenient judge. <laughs> so I had a whole speech prepared. <laughs> and he called us up, and he said, this is your first uh, offense on the records, and so I'm going to give you, guess what? Grace. And I'm going to put you on probation for nine months. If you've been able to drive without a speeding ticket this long, you should make another nine months. And I'm going to let you go because I think that you're going to do the right thing. And so I walked out of there a free man without this against my record. Amen? So that was law and grace in my life. And I recognized that the purpose of the law was to bring me to the point where I could look at my righteous judge and truly appreciate grace. The law had brought me to that point. Now, does that mean that after I walked out of the courtroom that there were no more laws and that I could just drive as I wished? Because I was not under the law but under grace. No, the law was still there, but I was now living by grace. So are you following the line of thinking? So God has trapped us in a prison. The law has brought us to a point where we cannot escape, where He has magnified our sins, and we get to the point where we say, God, I cannot look anywhere else but up. And now I have faith in Jesus. Some of you are trapped in those sins today. Amen? Some of you are trapped in trying to do it yourself today. And God is saying, I need you to have faith, because the point of the law is to lead us to what? 
faith, and through faith we are made right with God. Is that clear to everybody? So, what does our faith in Christ do for us? We dealt with the purpose of the law, which has lead us to faith, but then what is it that faith does for us? And this is so powerful, I don't want you to miss it, because at the end of this chapter it says, for you are all sons, all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. So we are all brought to that incredible point of saying, I cannot look around me, my circumstances are terrible, I cannot look at those things, I cannot look at my own righteous works, now I must look through faith to Christ Jesus. And then he continues in, in chapter, chapter 4 to describe the sonship. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. So this is talking about a child, even though he may be the son, does not have the privileges of being an adult, all right? Any of you try and give your car to your 10-year-old and you'll understand what I mean. So he doesn't have all the privileges of being an adult. He's, he's like a slave still, as my children will tell you. They are under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. And then at that time when they're an adult, then frighteningly, we give them a license. So it says, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, let me ask you a question. These children here, remember he's writing to the Gentiles. These children who were under bondage, was this before faith or after faith? When would they be under bondage? Before faith, right? Because they're in bondage to the elements of this world. They, they're in superstition. These Gentile believers in Galatia, they were, they were following festivals and they were trying to please their gods and making sacrifices. They were in bondage to these things. But that was before faith. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth what? His son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So he sends Jesus into a into a, a situation in the world where it is sinful, where, it is, where people are under the law, where there are all these problems. And why does Jesus come, verse 5 there, to do what? To redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the what? Adoptions as sons. Now, as you know, our family has recently adopted. And it's been quite a journey. Um, we, we had so many miracles, and through this, I came to understand a little bit more of what adoption means. Uh, we had gone through three years of waiting for our daughter, three years of working the system, and there were some times when we wanted to give up. I mean, adopting internationally is like $25,000, and we're like, how do we afford this? How do we do this? But miraculously, the, the money came together, and then we had a problem where our facilitator just totally uh, dropped the ball and we got an emergency call and uh, somebody said, look, you, you need to come now because things are not going to work otherwise. And uh, this was on Thursday and uh, I managed to find a ticket to fly. Uh, I th oh, I think it was Wednesday. I think I managed to find a ticket to fly on Thursday. And so I was still debating, do we go or not to go? And then we heard that the deputy minister would meet with us from the children's department in Ukraine. And so I said, all right, if the deputy minister will meet with us, let's go. 
Uh, we made that decision at 11 o'clock. By 11.55, we were boarding the plane in Chattanooga. Um, I, we just threw some things together in a suitcase, and we rushed to the airport. We got through the gates, uh, got to the gate three minutes before the plane was due to depart, I mean, before they closed the gate. So we're just thinking, this is a miracle. I had booked a really cheap ticket from New York to Ukraine, and that cheap ticket uh, was $500. And so I was like, this is, the Lord must be leading, because, you know, when do you get a $500 ticket at the last minute like this? But I got to New York, and we discovered that although I had bought the ticket, it hadn't gone through my credit card, and the ticket was now $1,500. And so I was like, all right, Lord, you're going to have to form America. We don't have $1,500 a piece to, to pay for this, so what are we going to do? So I spoke to a very nice lady. Um, she spoke to a supervisor, and she figured out that they were able, that they were going to honor that $500 price. And I said, can you please hurry, because we have to still get to our next flight. So she's working on it, and then as we're working on it, I'm trying to get things together so we can rush through with our tickets to the bus that's waiting, and I drop the phone, and it goes off. And uh, how am I even going to find this lady again? I don't know. So we're just like, Lord, is this even going to happen? And so I said, well, let's just go to the machine. Maybe it went through, and it had gone through. We were able to, to get our tickets printed, and then uh, we, we rushed out to the waiting bus, and it took us to where uh, the, our, our gate was, because New York, you've got to go quite a distance. And when we got there, I said, honey, we're not going to make it. I, I think the plane's going to be gone. But the, the bus, the little uh, van that was bringing the pilot and company had had a puncture on the way to the airport. So the plane was delayed, enabling us to get there in time. So uh, we, we actually ended up waiting on them. Like, where were you guys? <laughs> And so we got on the plane, and, uh, and, you know, I'm just praising God for all of this because I've just seen all of the pieces falling into place, and I have the anticipation of a father's heart, like we are going to go and we're going to figure this out and adopt our daughter. So we arrive in Ukraine uh, just, a, uh, just in time to be able to go and meet with the deputy minister. He only, he only comes in one day a week, and he was willing to meet with us. So we meet with him. And he tells us, your facilitator has ethical problems, and uh, we can't tell you what to do, but you're going to have problems if you continue using her, and the documents that you have are not going to be acceptable. And so I said, what is wrong with the documents? So he showed me three things, three papers that we still needed to get. And I said, if we brought this back on Monday, uh, would you accept it? And he said, if you bring this back on Monday, we'll accept it. But he kind of laughed. And so uh, I said, we've got to get out to our daughter's village. It was her 16th birthday. So uh, we managed to get a ride at night with some hellion of a driver. Uh, my prayer life just increased right there. Uh, talk about being shut up into faith. I was in that moment. And uh, we, we, we eventually arrived about, uh, I don't know, 8.30 at night. And uh, they had organized a small birthday party for our daughter. And we were celebrating and uh, then uh, along the way, we fired our facilitator, and we realized we don't have a facilitator. We have no idea what we're doing. It's now, uh, we, we get there just in time. Uh, it's Sabbath. We, we go to church in the morning. We get back from church, and our daughter says to us, I'm not really sure I want to be adopted. And we were like, this has been years. This has been all this money. We've just flown miracle after miracle. How can you not be interested in adoption? She says, because... 
well, I have some friends here, and, and we understood that, but we knew that these friends were easy come, easy go, because we, and that's indeed what happened. And uh, we were like, oh, why would you not want to do this? She says, well, you have rules, and, uh, I, and here I'm free. And you just want to think about that. I said, the freedom that she had there was this temporary freedom, because you'd only have freedom to do as you want for a while, but eventually you'd have no money, you'd have no job, uh, and, and a lot of her friends, uh, you know, were pregnant and were in trouble and in drugs and everything else. I said, this is not freedom. Isn't that what the devil sells us? You'll be free. You won't have any restrictions, but it's not really freedom, is it? And so we, we're grappling with her, and eventually we speak to the lady we're staying with, and she speaks to her, and uh, it, it's now Sunday. We, we, we're trying to figure out things with our facilitator. It's all blown apart, and, and it just feels terrible, awful. And I was like, God, you pr provided all these miracles, and now we're here. And that evening, our daughter says to us, I've, I've thought about it, and I do want to come to America. I do want to be your daughter. And, and we just, we're just crying. We're like, God, you provided, but we're still going to get these three pieces of paperwork done. So if she wants to come, we'll find a way to make it happen. And the next morning... We go and we visit these government agencies and a hospital, and incredibly, they all give us the paperwork we need. They, they redo it right then and there, and we get on a bus at 11 o'clock. In two hours, we had gotten three pieces of paperwork without a facilitator. And we get on a bus, a rickety old bus. I wasn't going back in that car. <laughs> and uh, we, we change buses, we get on a train, we get to uh, the Department of Children's Services, at about 3.45, we go in, they close at four, we go in, we sit down, and, uh, and they say, the people in front of us say, there's no way you're gonna see anyone today because you've got five people in front of you. And we say, we just have faith. I mean, what else did we have at that point? We have faith that God's gonna do something. And uh, so the, the lady who had met with us with the deputy minister comes out, sees us kind of in surprise, and she says, well, what are you doing here? We said, we brought the paperwork. She says, there's no way you can have the paperwork. I just saw you on Friday. I said, we have it right here. She looks at it. She says, let me just see what I can do. And she puts us in front of the five people. They weren't too happy, but God was in charge. She puts us in front of the five people. We walk in. She looks at all of our paperwork. She makes a few phone calls, and she says, I just want to let you know you have done what no other person has done before. You have submitted paperwork without a facilitator. Congratulations on your future adoption. I look at that story and I realize that we were offering the gift of adoption, but initially our daughter was thinking we were offering the gift of slavery. If we had realized, if she had realized, that what we were offering was not slavery, but a relationship, parents, a family, as she has come to realize. She would have seen things very differently as she did come to see things. Here's what Galatians ends with, and we've just got two more verses. And, God, and because you are sons, children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, what? Abba, Father. You know that word Abba is the diminutive of dad? So it's literally daddy, daddy, father. See, what God wants is not for us just to keep a bunch of rules. Those are important. What he wants is a relationship with us. 
He wants to bring us into that intimate relationship where we cry out, Daddy, Father. Therefore, he says, you are no longer a what? Slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Can you say amen? You have been made not only a child of God, but you have been promised all the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? God is giving you the gift of sonship. He's giving you the gift of adoption. And here we are fiddling about little things, elusive freedoms, but then I can't do what I want. Then I'm going to have rules and restrictions on me. Stop with the silly nonsense and come to the foot of the cross. Amen? A young man out in a far country, he begins realizing he can't live there anymore. He's living as a slave. He's, he's eating the husks of pigs. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father because his, his slaves lives better than I do. And I'm going to tell him I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a slave. But as he approaches, his father sees him in the distance. And his father says, is that my son? And he picks up his robe and he runs towards his son. He throws his arm around his pig-infested, unclean, dirty self. And he puts his arms of love around him. And he ends up saying, this is my son who once was lost, but now is found. Are you going to be a slave or a son? I don't know what's keeping you shackled, what addictions. I don't know what legalism. I don't know what condemnation of the law. But I want to let you know that God is willing to break those chains free. He's willing to give you sonship. He's willing to give you adoption. He's willing to make you his sons and his daughters. And whatever your challenges, whatever your difficulties, he will spend all of heaven to come and rescue you. My sin is self-reliance. Any of you have that sin? I am so used to doing things by myself that I often work first and pray later. But God is saying, it's time to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which who has made us free? Christ has made us free. And not to be entangled again with yoke of bondage. How many of you are trying, have, are, are tired of trying to do it by yourselves? Amen? It's time for us to come to the foot of the cross. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Are you willing to have Jesus be your brother, to have God as your father, for him to open up the doors of his home? I don't want slaves. I want sons and daughters. If you're willing to let God speak into your heart and say, child of mine it's time to come home then i want you to just make your way out of your seat and come down to the front just uh why don't we stand together it'll make some of it easier for those who are wanting to make a move but god is calling you you're no longer a slave you're a son you don't need anything you don't need to prove anything you are god's child no matter what bondage, 
Satan held you in. You are now sons and daughters of God. Amen. As we sing our final song, I want you to just keep coming down. And we're going to have a prayer together at the end. And I just want God to come into your hearts and to redeem you by the beautiful blood of Jesus.